I just finished a book entitled A Strange New World. It's written by Carl Truman. And the essence of the book is an attempt to describe how we have come to this current cultural moment. Uh, what's transpired in history and, uh, and how we've arrived at a day and time where much of what you and I consider virtuous, much of what you and I consider very important to who we are, what we believe, and how we live, is now considered extremist. It's now considered dangerous. It's a very interesting book, and in, and in one sense, it would have left me very discouraged if it wasn't that I'm a part of a church, a group of people that believe that what the Bible says is true, and what the Bible says about men and women is true, what the Bible says about family life is true, what the Bible says about the hope for the world is true. I love being a part of this church, not only for that reason, but I love being a part of a church that's multi-generational, as I've said many, many times to you. The other night I was in this lobby after, uh, I think it was Wednesday night activities. It might have been on a Sunday morning. Probably was, I think it was a Sunday morning. And I saw a couple, they're just a little bit older than Jaylen and I, retired. Uh, they're empty nesters, obviously. And as they're walking out the door, I saw them holding hands. And it was a reminder to me that when I leave tonight, I need to hold Jalen's hand. I'd never been in a discipleship group with that brother. We've never been in, in small group to, to, together in a, uh, beyond maybe in just a BFG setting, but he, he was discipling me. As you've heard me say many times, one of the men I admire most in all the world is Bob Golden. He's a member of our church. And once a month, the ministerial staff and Bob and a, and a group of, uh, of older guys, we get together and we eat lunch together. And we've been doing that with Bob for, for a number of years because Bob was not able to attend very often for many years because his wife, Carol, had uh, Alzheimer's. When we came to the church, Carol Golden was one of the most uh, encouraging people we had, had ever met. So supportive and loving and kind and caring, just a, a magnificent person. And as that disease often does, it, it begins to eat at a person's memory and, and uh, at their mental capacities. And, and it, it came on Carol rather quickly. It, it, it progressed rather rapidly, and so Bob, Bob had to stay at home most of the time. Once a month, his daughter would, would come over and sit with her mom, but she was very involved in her church, and Bob would be able to come. It was always so great to see Bob. And um, then once a month, uh, Martha Searles would go and sit with uh, Carol and, and uh, Herb Searles and Don Miller and the ministerial staff. We'd get together and eat lunch, lunch together. Bob and I have never been in Bible fellowship group together. We've never been in a small prayer group together. I pray to God that I can be a husband like Bob Golden. 
You don't get that from a church of just 20-somethings. On the other hand, without the 20-somethings, you don't have the, the glory and the beauty of what we experienced this morning in both services, uh, the platform filled with, uh, with young couples who love Jesus, they love this church, they have babies in their arms, they're committing themselves to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But all that which I talked about as being a part of, a, of, a, of this congregation is despised and hated by more and more people in the world. And as we march together as the people of God into the future, we need to be men and women committed to a vision of Christian living. I want to share with you two life verses for me. I wish I could say I, wish I, could say I always live up to these verses. I certainly don't. But I can say they're, they're never very far from my mind. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I wish I'd lived that out all the time. I, I most certainly do not. But it is one of my two life verses. Another one is from Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now, the place that I have to live out those two verses most frequently are in my marriage. That is, I live in closer proximity to Jay Lynn, and I've lived in closer proximity to her than any other human being I have ever known. And what I want to do is to, to use those two verses as a prism not a prison, but a prism to think about married life, to think about a renewed vision for marriage. Because there's a lot of discussion among evangelical Christians, what is the purpose of marriage? And some people may ask this question, is marriage primarily about procreation? Well, we've seen the beauty of procreation this morning in the families that we're on the platform with me. And in fact, there's some biblical precedents to think about the importance of procreation as it relates to marriage. Genesis says this, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, but if we were to say that marriage is first and foremost about procreation, then we would have to ask ourselves, do couples who are not able to have children have a lesser marriage and have a lesser opportunity of being able to express glory to God through their marriage? I don't think we would say that. Just a few weeks ago, as we're studying through the Gospel of Luke as a congregation, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived almost their entire married life without children. So did they have a lesser marriage? Was their marriage less honoring to God, less glorifying to God than their neighbor who lived next door, maybe with a house full of children? Well, of course not. I don't think that any of us would believe that. 
I think this verse would tell us we need to be open to having children, that couples ought to, ought to give serious, serious consideration to parenthood. But that's not the primary purpose of marriage as important as procreation is. Well, a second question, a second thought, a, a second inclination about the purpose of marriage, is marriage primarily about protection from promiscuity? And so I use, I use that word promiscuity intentionally because of little ones with us, and so uh, I'll, I'll be very careful in what I say and how I say it. Some might point to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9, which re reads, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so the thought is, marriage is about protection from promiscuity. Well, the physical relationship in a marriage is, is very, very important. The Bible makes that absolutely and abundantly clear. But what happens in a marriage where, for whatever reason, a physical relationship like we're talking about is no longer a possibility? Is that a lesser marriage? Is that a marriage that gives less glory to God? Is that a marriage that's no longer satisfying and meaningful to both partners? Sometimes people think, well, if I can get married, then I can, I can avoid the, the trap of promiscuity, internet pornography, and things of that sort. And what happens if they're not careful is this, their marriage becomes the end. That is, the, the, the end, the purpose, is physical satisfaction. So their partner is not one to be treasured and honored. Their partner is a means to the end. The end is sexual satisfaction. And that's the purpose of marriage. Now, again, I don't want to minimize the significance of it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, do not deprive one another except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so if marriage is primarily about protection from promiscuity, why is it that people who have satisfying physical relationships with their spouse commit adultery or get hooked on internet pornography? As important as it is, it's not the most important thing in a marriage at all. Well, a third question, thinking about marriage, the purpose of marriage, a renewed vision for marriage, is, is friendship and companionship the purpose of marriage? Well, there's biblical precedence, biblical thought for that. Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Obviously, you would, you would hope that the person you're married to is the person that will be your best friend. I tell people, become friends before you fall in love. If you fall in, if you fall in love as a friend, then that's a beautiful thing. If you fall in love and you're not friends, it can end up in a cat catastrophe. And as you grow with one another, you, your friendship and companionship ought to grow as well. 
I, I think most healthy marriages, uh, the partners would rather be together than apart. Some of this, I guess, has to do a little bit with generational things, but Jay Lynn and I would just prefer to do everything together, everything together with our friends, everything together as, as a couple. Now, we don't do everything together because I have a, a job and she has responsibilities, but at the end of the day, all things being equal, we would rather do them together. I always prefer to be with her never apart from her. And, and many of you in here, most of you would probably say that's true. But is that the end purpose of marriage, friendship and companionship? Well, there's biblical commentary about it, but, but I don't think, again, that that's the primary purpose. It's a subsidiary purpose. It's an important purpose, but it's not the primary purpose. I read to you two verses a moment ago that, uh, that are life verses for me. I, I, I fall far short every day, almost all of the time, in, in fulfilling them. But uh, there's another context that's very important for me. And Jesus was asked by a lawyer, which is, what's the greatest commandment? In, in a sense, Jesus is summing up Christianity in his response. And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we think of our neighbor, we primarily think of our next-door neighbor, co-worker, family member, friend, somebody that doesn't live in our house. But, but God has given us the context of marriage, not only so that we can love him, but so that we can love another. Our neighbor is the person that we sleep beside. Our neighbor is the person that we've covenanted to live in relationship with. And so I want us to think for a few minutes, what does it mean to love one another, primarily being directed toward loving our spouse if we're married? I looked up all of the one another passages. There's over a hundred of them. Uh, some of them are, are duplicated. Uh, I, I called it down to about eight or nine. In just a moment, I want to read through those for you. And, and uh, in the place where I have spouse, I'm going to say Jay Lynn, but I want you to say your spouse's name in your mind. That is, the one another passages aren't just lived out in the church. That's where they are to be lived out in the church. A part of it is living it out in the church. But what's the purpose in living out one another statements in the church if you don't live it out in the home? John 13, 34 says, love one another. I've been repeating this week, and I'm going to continue to repeat it because I need the reminder. Love, Jay Lynn. Sixteen times we're encouraged, exhorted, commanded to love one another, then if we're going to love one another, surely to God's glory we're going to love our spouse. Be devoted to one another, it says in Romans 12. Be devoted to Jalen. Romans 12 also says, honor one another. I need to honor Jay Lynn. 1 Corinthians 12 says, care for one another. 
I need to care for Jalen. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another. I need to serve Jalen. Ephesians 4 says, forgive one another. I need to forgive Jalen. She needs to forgive me more often than I need to forgive her. I'll just put that uh, in a little side note. Ephesians says, be patient with one another. I need to be patient with Jalen. Ephesians says, be kind and compassionate to one another. I need to be kind and compassionate to Jalen. First Thessalonians says, encourage one another. I need to encourage Jalen. James says, pray for one another. I need to pray for Jalen. So let me read through these as I wrote them and listen to the impact of what that would mean if you as a husband read these every day for 30 days with the name of your spouse. Love Jalen. Be devoted to Jalen. Honor Jalen. Care for Jalen. Serve Jalen. Forgive Jalen. Be patient with Jalen. Be kind and compassionate to Jalen. Encourage Jalen. Pray for Jalen. Over time, what we read shapes our thoughts. And that could transform, that could transform a marriage. And by loving her, I'm loving God. By honoring her, I'm honoring God because God says, love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment is like the first commandment. That is, you don't love God if you don't love others. And I don't love God if I don't love my wife in the way that God wants me to love her. I don't love Him like I ought to love Him. I don't care. I don't have a, a desire to please God as I ought to please Him if this isn't true of my relationship with my wife. So the question is, how does it work its way out in, in our home? Well, often not very well on my end. Uh, the, other, the other day we were looking at couches. We've had the couch in the basement for about 22 years now. We keep furniture a long time. We don't, cha- we don't transition furniture that much. Jalen wants a new couch in the basement. We, we're gonna, we will agree on a price range. And then I'm going to say, I want, you, I want you to pick the couch out. Not because I don't have a preference for what it looks like, the color, the fabric, and those things, but it matters more to her. It matters a lot more to her. It would look terrible if I picked it out for one thing. But it doesn't matter what she picks out. I will be happy with it because I know she is happy with it. She likes the yard to look a particular way. There's a lot of things she won't let me do in the yard. Maybe I did this psychologically beneath the surface to get me out of She doesn't like the way that I weed eat. I never get to weed eat. Uh, she doesn't like the way that I plant things, so I never get to plant things. She's satisfied with the way that I mow. <laughs> so the other day, she said, I'm going to out work in the yard. Well, I really, I've got something. I've got a pressing responsibility on my back that's to do with a publisher in, in August. And I thought, well, I'm going to come down and, I, and I'll mow. 
And she said, it's not necessary. I'd rather mow, even though I don't care that much about mowing, and be outside near her, even though we can't talk because I'm mowing and she's weed eating, than, than to be inside doing something else. You see, with, if, you're, if, you, if you're not intentional and purposeful with your marriage, your marriage will deteriorate. Now, sometimes it deteriorates no matter what. I mean, all of these things could be nuanced, couldn't they? We know people that have done the right things and lived the right ways, and still their marriage, their marriage ended in failure, not so much maybe because of one spouse, but because of the other. But let's do all we can by the, by the, by the power of God for the glory of God to do what we ought to do. And so we look at these, and I I would suggest to you this could rejuvenate your view of marriage. It could impact greatly if you thought your marriage was about showing God that you love Him by how you love your spouse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, he said. That is, you can look into your marriage and see how much you love God by how much you put into your marriage, because the second is like it. Love your wife more than you love yourself, and vice versa. And so we live in a culture that is depreciating traditional marriage, tradition marriage, it is marginalizing traditional families. It's excoriating those who believe in traditional values. It's not only marginalizing them, it is viciously attacking them because we hold to views that are commensurate with the Word of God. But if we're going to do that, let's at least be consistent and live it out. Let's not say one thing in the public square and disavow what we believe in the public square by the way that we live at home. No, no, no marriage is perfect and no couple are perfect. We're all sinners. We're all struggling. That's why it says, he says, forgive one another. Forgive before they ask. But then when we speak in a united voice about what we believe the Bible says about family values, scriptural values, we speak with an unction and authority that resonates from something that we don't only believe intellectually, but we're seeking to live out experientially. You may be here today and you're single. You've never married. You're divorced. You're a widower, a widower. How would some of this impact you? I would say that Singleness is very dangerous because it can make you self-centered and inflict a lot of self-centered wounds. That is, if you're only making decisions for yourself, obviously it's easy for yourself to become the number one priority in your life, and you make decisions based about how it's going to impact you. Uh, You may not be in a marriage relationship, but you are a part of a family. You're a part of a biological family, and you're part of a church family. So the question isn't first and foremost, what's most important for me? The question is, how can I serve? 
You don't have a, maybe a Jalen in, in your life, a spouse in your life, but you've got a church in your life. You've got a whole, a whole host of people up here. And maybe, maybe what you say is, I'm single. I can, I can certainly serve in preschool ministry. Most of the time, people say, I'm single, so I can't serve in preschool ministry. Well, why couldn't you? Uh, Paul said there's a lot of advantages to single life. Now, he was, he was single by conviction. He was probably celibate. He was able to go on mission trips and go places and do things that it would be unwise for a person with, with a family to do and places for them to go. He was free to go here or there whenever he, whenever he wanted to, needed to, or felt called to. So there, there are doors and avenues and opportunities open to, to single people. But there are also opportunities of service that will go against the grain. But what you're doing is you're, pre- or you're preparing yourself, you're preparing yourself for marriage. You're preparing yourself for parenting. Because when you're married and you're a parent, if you act like you're single, then you're going to bring devastation to your home. So you begin to make decisions now that prepare you for then. Uh, you begin to, to look like in our congregation where I noticed my friends that were walking out the other day uh, hand in hand. You begin to put that in the back of your mind. That's the way a marriage should be. Now, they're not a perfect couple. I don't know anything in particular that would, uh, that would be a scandalous to their behavior, but they're, they're not perfect, certainly. But I tell you, they're a good example of what a marriage ought to be, and they've been married longer than Jay Lynn and I have for 40 years, several years beyond that. You get to know people like Bob, and then one day when circumstances befall a person and you see how he behaves, you log that away. That's what I need to be. That's the kind of man I need to become. Uh, You watch our senior adults, faithful, every week in worshiping, serving, giving, praying, and then you watch them and you say, I'm placing that in the back of my mind. That is, being a part of a multi-generational church gives you the opportunity to watch seasoned believers in a marriage relationship interact with one another, and it teaches you how to one day prepare to interact. Uh, singleness is not a, being a second-class Christian. That's just preposterous. Some people God calls to a lifetime of singleness. It was John R.W. Stott, a second-class Christian because he never married, was Lottie Moon. You probably don't know these names, but these are great Christian luminaries. The Apostle Paul never married. The Lord Jesus Christ never married. Most of you who are single will marry. There's no better way to prepare for marriage than being very involved in a church. When Jay Lynn and I went to our pastor for premarital counseling, we sat down and he says, I don't know what I can tell you. You're, two of the best, you're one of the best young couples in the church. Uh, work hard at it and do good, and you're going to be fine. 
And that was the extent of, he was a great man. He just didn't, he didn't mess around with words much. He didn't have time for premarital counseling, I guess. And he said, uh, you'll figure it out. You're both good, committed uh, Christian people. Well, by God's good grace, we were in a church with a lot of good examples. And I came out of terrible dysfunction. Jay Lynn came out of terrible dysfunction. We were two dysfunctioned uh, young adults. She was 21. I was 23. I had a horrific background. She had some horrific things happen as a child as well. And so we loved Jesus. We loved one another. We, we could have, we would have done a lot worse if we had not been a part of a church where there were all kinds of good examples for us to follow. I, I hope you wrote down those things, guys. Uh, those one another statements, there's a lot more. If you're interested, give Pastor Elif a, a, an email this week. He'll get them for you. Um, but try reading them every day for a month and living them out throughout the weeks. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand and let me lead us in a word of prayer. Noah Purcell is going to come and lead us in prayer. Noah was up here during the first service. He and Yasmina, what a gift they are, from South Florida to us, both phenomenally gifted people. And he's going to lead us as we sing our final song together in just a moment. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today that your word is true. It was true when it was written, and it's true in the 21st century. And although there are those who would like to marginalize it, depreciate it, and say that it is antiquated, we believe it to be God-breathed. And because we believe that, Father, you have expectations of us from that word. And yet, Father, we're very grateful that we don't have to accomplish this in our own strength, by our own abilities that we are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit enables us to do that which we don't want to do, to do that which we would be unable to do apart from him. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would have a, have a fresh vision for our marriage if we are married. And for those who are single, I pray in Jesus' name, they would have a fresh vision of the opportunities available to them during this season of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.